All right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I am very excited to have myself on for the podcast. What 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 does that mean? That's the sound egotistical, right? Now, well, um, I have my good good friend uh, um, on the podcast. His name's Ethan. Ethan Nalouz, and I asked him just a couple of hours ago to interview me to go to kind of go through a recap of 2019. This year was an insanely ridiculous year for me, and so much has happened. And for the last day of 2019 and the last day of the decade, I thought it would be interesting to do a reverse interview and have someone interview me. I can kind of reflect and, and talk about 2019 and jam with Ethan um, on you know whatever we talk about. So with that, Ethan, thank you for coming on and volunteering as the host for the day. Welcome to the show. Yeah, of course. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. Cool. Yeah. Happy to flip the script for a second and it will be, it will definitely be interesting to, uh, to be in the, the guest seat. So with that said, I will give the host powers to you and um, I'm ready, ready to roll. Cool. All right. Well, um, I guess naturally the first question I want to ask is like, uh, where were you a year ago? A year ago, I was pretty excited about uh, get, just getting off of a podcast uh, with Jason Calacanis. So uh, I call, he does these things called call in, um, you know, ask Jason the shows. He is this podcast this we can start up and, and actually six months ago, you know, a year ago, so a year and a half ago, I called in and I was the first Conlin ever to talk to Jason. Um, and, and we jammed about whatever. And I called in again for a second time, you know, about a year ago. And we talked about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that we talked about, you know, was Publoft and our traction, which at the time was 25000 uh, in monthly recurring revenue, uh, you know, with no marketing spend. And... You know, at this point, I think he already told me like, oh, you should totally, you know, apply or check out the accelerator. And I think potentially almost to the day, almost to the day, I think today or tomorrow was the day that I emailed Jason DeMont, who's the accelerator director, and told him that I wanted more information because I waited a couple of days after the podcast to think about if I wanted to be the accelerator. And yeah, so a year ago. I emailed the, the, the accelerator director at the time, Jason DeMont, to, to learn more about, uh, about launch, which is the name of the accelerator. And that's where I was about a year ago. Cool. What, what attracted you to launch in particular? Like there's so many accelerators out there and you know, you could have really, you could have approached any of them. So why did you approach this one in particular? Well, I didn't approach any accelerator except for just like every other founder in the world of Y Combinator. But I, I was pretty set on, you know, not doing an accelerator if it wasn't Y Combinator. Launch actually, um, for a long time, wasn't so much on the radar. Uh, but it, it was just that. It wasn't that I knew about it and I was actively not pursuing it. It just wasn't on my radar. And I think what got what convinced me and, and my, and my co-founder at the time to kind of go for it was the advice that Jason gave me on the podcast. Um, because at the time I was getting interest from, from some VCs and Publoft, you know, our revenue was good. And my question for Jason was, hey, 
I am getting interest or we are getting interest from VCs in the Bay, but we are making so much money. We could do fine without raising money. What should we do? And Jason's answer was super quality. He was like, well, in summary, he said, well, you could, you know, you could not raise money and you could live a really great life. You can be rich, have the, the nicest house in Boulder and, and call it good. Um, but if you have people in the big leagues that are thinking about kind of like recruiting you, then maybe you should take a swing for the big leagues. You could either be the best company in the minor leagues. Or you could be a rookie in the big leagues. What do you want to be? And I really liked it. I really liked that. Additionally, as I talked to Jason on this podcast, I realized kind of, I understood, you know, the fact that like kind of the power and the, and the knowledge and the clout that Jason has and to think about like being a partner with him and him helping us, you know, get to the next level was really attractive to me. Um, and his, his answer to me, my question on the podcast kind of sealed the deal. I mean, additionally, we were looking for funding and we didn't have many ties to San Francisco at the time. Uh, so, you know, I think it was just top of mind at the moment and it just, and the opportunity unveiled itself. And I, you know, one of the things about startups is, taking chances when opportunities come up. And that was a chance that we took. Cool. So then uh, what came out of it? So, you know, you went on the podcast and you're really persistent and you're really trying to get part of the accelerator. How did it go? Sure. So I remember, I mean, so after, once I emailed DeMont, uh, it wasn't like an automatic, great, you're in You're you know, it was a, Hey, fly up to San Francisco and pit and pitch you know, the, the launch team. And if you get past that pitch, Jason, and if you get past that, you know, maybe you'll, you'll get an investment and you'll get into the accelerator. So I flew up there. God, I spent, it was so much money because it was a last minute plane flight. I think I spent like nearly $800 um, on the last minute plane flight. So it, I had to, it had to work. You know, I had to get the investment. I had to, you know, for, 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 for Jeremy and for my team and for, for everything that we, had done up to that point, I just felt like at that moment, I just needed to secure the bag and raise, raise the hundred K. So I practiced the pitch a lot. I fly up there. I remember I, I'm staying in daily city and the night before the, um, the pitch with the, with the launch team, this is before Jason, I'm on the phone with Jonathan Barkle, who, who, uh, you know, is one of my good, good friends at the time. Uh, we were both in similar ish boats um, Jonathan is CEO of Air Garage, and he was kind of help, helping me think through the pitch and if it was a good opportunity and et cetera. And uh, um, kind of like almost made me realize that, you know, this wasn't, this isn't like the one chance you get to make it big. It's just a chance. They don't overthink it. And it really helped. So the next day I, I was put in a room with uh, a couple of the launch staff and I, pitched my heart out and uh, luckily I didn't have to do much of the pitching because our graph was up and to the right. Um, in seven months, we grew it from zero to $25,000 a monthly recurring revenue with no marketing spend and, and pretty much just me doing growth. So it was pretty impressive. So that's probably how it ended up working out, not my pitching ability. Um, but still like I pitched and I got past the first stage. The next stage was pitching Jason. And I remember uh, this was the next day and this was the final round you know, if, if, if you get past this, you, you get in, or at least you have to do go through due diligence, then you get in. 
And I remember I was sitting in the basement of kind of the studio and I, uh, you know, um, what was it? And they call me up and I walk up and the moment I walk up, Jason walks right past me. I'm like, wow, that's Jason Calacanis. I'm about to pitch that guy. And I was like, started, my heart rate started to increase a little bit, which is a very bad sign. I'm not the best public speaker in the world. And I know that when I get nervous and my heart rate rises, it's not good for anyone. So I really, especially myself. So I really focused on like lowering my breath, lowering my heart rate, et cetera. Um, and then I, you know, sat down at the table. I had Jeremy on, on speakerphone. So you could kind of be into, in, be in the pitch. And Jason said, all right, you know, do it, you know, pitch. And it, I believe if I remember correctly, it was a three minute long pitch and Dan, it was a good pitch. I really, I really, <laughs> I really nailed it. Not to like, you know, not to be, you know, stroke my ego, but I had to nail it, right? Like those are the moments where you get a chance and you either take advantage of it or you don't. And that's where companies are born. They're not born on the three, the 300 days out of the year, the 360 days out of the year. They're born out of the five days where you get an unusual chance to make a, a big difference. And this was that, this was that. So I nailed the pitch. And I remember after Jason, I don't remember the exact words that he said, but he, he didn't like have that many questions. He just said like, you know, it was impressive. And I think he's talking about our growth. You know, our growth was good. Um, and by the way, the company was called Publoft. I don't even know if all you know this. And it was a content marketing marketplace. We connect writers to startups who needed their, blog, who needed their blogs managed. And uh, I think it just clicked. Um, and I felt really good after the pitch. I'm like, I think it, I think we got it. Like, I think we're going to secure the bag, but I tried to stay calm, um, until I got the email from DeMont and he's like, yo, you, uh, got in pending due diligence. And, uh, I don't know how I felt at the time. I, I mean, I was ecstatic, but I mean, it, it was more than ecstatic, man. It, like you, I mean, you know, for context, for everyone listening, Ethan was a co-founder of Publoft 1.0. Publoft has a history. And back in 2017, what, you know, what I call Publoft 1.0, Ethan was a co-founder for like four or five months of, of that kind of sh short-lived, uh, just knocked the wine bottle over, short-lived uh, stint. And, uh, you know, it's been a ride. And to know that I just convinced Jason Calacanis, you know, to invest in, in our company and in us because he, he thought we could be a moonshot, you know, it felt great. <laughs> so, um, and that, but at the same time, and we'll get into this, it automatically entered us into a new league and a league we were not, you know, mentally prepared for. We thought we were, but just, you know, when someone like Jason gives you $100,000, you are expected to do good things with that money. And I think we were on a different level, not the level we should have been on, you know, when we received that money and we can talk about what the accelerator was like, but, um, that, that's what happened after the podcast. I, I prepared really, really hard and I delivered and I executed and we got investment and it felt incredible. Nice. So, uh, when was this again? When did you pitch? This and was early January. So early, early January, January okay. of 2019. So, you know, uh, about 11 and a half months ago. And, okay. And then uh, yeah. when did the, when did the accelerator start? The accelerator started end of January, January 30th. So ultimately in a, in a span of a month, I went from, you know, like launch wasn't on our radar 
to we were in San Francisco for three months pitching over 100 VCs. Um, so it happened very quickly. Oh, okay. And then, so then how was it like when you, when you got in? I can imagine um, even just the transition of lifestyle, you know, because all of a sudden you get into the accelerator and then now you've just signed up to change your life for the next, at least for the next couple, three months and, you know, who knows how long after. So then how did you kind of deal with that adjustment? Well, a lot of it was excitement and it, we were just excited. We were, ex- we were excited and we were naive for what was ahead of us because we were more excited than prepared, in my opinion. At least I was. Um, you know, I was more amped than getting ready for the, for the league. And, uh, but, w- like, we get up there. You know, we're staying in Petrero Hill. And uh, I'm trying to think of the first, the first pitch day. Um, yeah. <laughs> the first pitch day. Um, oh, sorry, to answer your question, um, it was really just like a, yeah, like, we made it. We're doing it. We're in San Francisco. We're going to raise a seed round. Let's get it. Uh, but it's like not, it's not how you're supposed to be thinking about these things. Um, and I, I know that now when I get the, the next chance, you know, I have, I can pattern recognize, you know, but, um, we were just excited and we, we stayed up in Petrol Hill in a, in a decent, you know, a pretty nice apartment because we were going to work there. And, and there's a fills at the bottom of the hill and it was just, it was, it was nice, but it didn't really hit us until we went to the first pitch session. And this was, I don't remember the, this is so bad. I don't, I don't remember the lawyers, uh, the, the firm where we pitched. It felt, feels so long ago, but it wasn't. But we pitched on the 12th story of this very, very nice law firm. And uh, I remember just the, 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 the six or seven VCs walking in. And I'm like, wow, this is real. Like, these are real VCs. And Jason was there. And then I think I was like selected to pitch first. Um, and we decided that I was going to be the one doing the pitching throughout launch. And it was so funny. Uh, I, th- I do think I was the first pitch of the cohort. And after the pitch, Jason walks up and he pretty much does my pitch over again, but a billion times better. <laughs> and he's like, so that, that's what you do next time. And he, he didn't, I wouldn't say it didn't embarrass me because he was helping me, but he pre- it showed me like, wow. You know, this isn't a place where you have a bad pitch and people just don't say anything. This is where you have a bad pitch and your investor comes up and does it for you in front of everyone and tells you to do it like that next time. And it just made me realize, like, this is a different league, you know? <laughs> um, and it, it was a little... It, it, one thing to, to mention, and this is something I've learned, especially due to the, the podcast um, over this year, is that very quickly, I started to see Jason not as this, you know, person above me or someone that I like, you know, this angel that just that bet on me that I like owe the world to that like is untouchable. Very quickly, I saw him more as a partner. um, And we all did. And that's what's great about things like this is that when someone takes a bet on you, they don't want you to see them as a you know, as, as someone above you, they want you to see them as their partner because your partner is to build a world-defining, world-class company. Um, and I felt like that. And he really gave, gave, gave off that gave off that vibe during the accelerator, um, at least for, for a point of time. So I don't actually remember what your original question was, but this is just what's <laughs> coming out of my mouth. So yeah, that's ultimately how the accelerator started. And it showed me that this was a different league and these were real VCs and this was Jason, you know, fixing the pitch and he was invested and and, you know, we're on and excited, but also, you know, getting somewhat 
slightly nervous at the fact that most of the VCs, you know, didn't understand that we were a services company, why we were even up there, why, what our margins were. So there are some, you know, problems in the beginning, but there's always going to be problems when you're fundraising. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then what was your experience like, um, like throughout the entire accelerator? So like you're there for three months. Uh, I'm assuming you pitched like every week or so often. Uh, what were the, some of the things you learned? Like what were some of the cool experiences you had? Man, cool. I definitely had a lot of cool experiences. So the cool, I mean, I, I just have a billion flashing through my head right now. Um, but I'll, I'll name a few. So I think one of the top experiences was while we were driving up to San, San Francisco, we passed San Hill Road. And like, I think I was driving, maybe Jeremy was, I don't remember. But whoever was driving, I told, I, I told Jeremy, I'm turning off to visit San Hill Road, or I told him to turn off to visit San Hill Road. And we literally drive up to Sequoia and we're like, oh my God, we're here. Like we made it, like this is San Francisco, this is tech, this is tech central. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but it just, it's so silly. It's so silly how people ch can change so much in a good way. Like at that point, we just drove up to Sequoia and we were freaking out. But two months later, we were pitching Roloff Botha, who is, was, the, was the CFO that took PayPal public. And now he's running, he's pretty much running Sequoia. It's crazy how these things change your mind. It changes the level in your head. So I think Sequoia, pitching Roloff, um, you know, that was pretty incredible. I think another incredible moment was there was a dinner, the, the opening dinner that Jason hosted for the accelerator where I met actually kind of becoming a friend, um, in my opinion. Um, but I'm not necessarily going to mention her name. There's like a VC who I, you know, at the point I thought she'd be interested in investing. So we, you know, we were all talking and whatnot. And uh, I realized that, you know, as the night got later, I was like dominating the conversation, not in a negative way, but I felt like in some capacity, the life of the party with the VCs and the founders and people were saying like, Oh, you're going to run for president. I'm just like, I don't know how that came up. And it's just, there was something that was made me realize like, Holy shit. Like I have fucking, like, I don't know. Like I have a certain charisma that I've got that has gotten me to a certain place, but being in this super expensive restaurant with super incredible VCs and other founders on my cohort. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to explain what it felt like, but I'm like, wow, I can play the game. Like I can keep up and I don't, I'm not just going to keep up. Like this is a game that I can play and I can win. And I, I felt very confident after that night. Although the VC that I mentioned um, rejected us, you know, the moment I asked cause, cause of the business model, cause it, you know, cause of the cogs, just like every other VC, but that was a great experience. Some other great experiences. I mean, I'll be honest, like Jeremy and I had some great fucking times, man. Like we, we played Frisbee a lot. We went on jogs. We just we got dinner a lot. We cooked, um, you know, we, we bonded a lot in San Francisco. Um, but it all kind of, and, and there's, and there's tons of other, like there's tons of other memories. I remember when my parents visited and my girlfriend visited, I and I like. I remember getting burgers in. Actually, I think we were on the phone during one of these times. We getting burgers with Jason after one of the pitch sessions. Um, I remember when General Catalyst picked us as number one pitch of the day. Same with Greylock. I there was a point where I pitched at Greylock. I, I, I it, it was incredible. 
The whole thing was incredible. But the problem is that everything I'm saying right now, it doesn't matter. It sounds fun. And people that are listening are like, wow, like, Matt, you know, you had a great time. But the, the fact of the matter is we were not in the, we, the head game. And all, it's not, I'm not even going to say we. I'm going to blame it mostly on me, almost all on me. My head was not in the place that it needed to be to get the job done. And we were there to raise money. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. Um, I, was, I was trying, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't succeeding. And while we were you know, struggling a little bit with the investors we were pitching, you know, the event happened. <laughs> um, the event that I will always remember the feeling of, uh, you know, of, and this event, the ripples of this event lasted eight months. And what, I'm not going to mention the name of the customer because they did nothing wrong, but I remember this was about a third of the way, maybe halfway through the accelerator. I'm on my bed and I'm training our new I'm training on quotes. Like, I don't know how to train, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to train John who's our, our new sales hire. And Jeremy walks in and he asks, he's like, dude, like, did you check your email? Or I don't remember exactly what he said, but ultimately we had a, a, our biggest customer churn. And I don't know exactly how big customers was to get in regards to percentage of your revenue, but they were a third of our revenue and they churned. And this is, you know, I talked about earlier the moment where you, the few moments during the year where you need to make the decisions that are going to make an impact on the rest of your life. And I had a choice here. I could have said, great, you know, that happens. John, I, you know, together we're going to work and grow revenue and we're going to forget about this. And I could have just not even sweat it. You know, it's part of the, the game. And I remember I emailed Jason after this and I was feeling a little uneasy I'm like, Jason, we got to talk on the phone. He's like, what's up, man? I said, we just lost a massive customer. He's like, it's fine. You know, this happens when you're this early. Just, just, just stay the course. And man, if I would have taken that advice, I don't regret, I don't regret anything. I, I'm not a person of regret, but man, I really, I really screwed this one up. Um, I, I uh, we, we lost this customer and uh, I don't know what happened inside of me. But I, I started to not be as confident anymore. I actually started to think we could potentially lose. And I believe we lost like another customer um, soon after for various reasons. Um, I'm not even related to the service. It, they both were external things, but things just started to go kind of like downhill. And I didn't know how to train our new salesperson. So there wasn't, you know, I was trying to fundraise. It wasn't working. Our new salesperson wasn't bringing in leads because I wasn't training him well, well enough. And we're losing customers, we're losing revenue while we're pitching VCs. Um, this was kind of like the perfect storm. This was literally like halfway through the accelerator. And then, you know, I just, I don't know if this, we'll see what happens in 10 years. But I made, I told, like Jeremy and I were figuring out what to do. And obviously the right answer is to, you know, hunker down and focus and grow revenue. But instead, I'm like, yo, this is this is the this is the reason why we should be working on this. This being something else, and 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 ultimately, in this internal, I don't even call it a struggle. It was almost like a white flag. Like, oh my gosh, we're losing customers. This isn't working. You know, there's nothing we can do. We have to do something new. Um, that was like my mindset at the time, which was very weak, very weak of me. But I, you know, decided to like 
pretty much start a new company <laughs> um, called Gigloft. And to be frank, uh, I think and still think the opportunity for a Gigloft is a billion times bigger than an opportunity for a Publoft. But it didn't matter because we got into the accelerator with Publoft. Um, but I wanted to build something that targeted freelancers, that targeted the creators. And we don't have to go super deep into Gigloft, but ultimately instead of staying the course and taking Jason's advice as I should have, I you know lost focus and started something else. And at the time Gigloft was like a membership community for freelancers. I got like 15 people to pay like in the first day. I'm pretty good at like, I'm good at that stuff, but that doesn't scale. And then, you know, what really started to, what really started to make everything go sour is that we, I was pitching David freaking Sachs, you know, who, uh, you know, he's, he's a big deal. He's a big deal VC. And I, in, that was the first pitch that I mentioned that we were pivoting. And afterwards, Jason's like, what the hell are you doing? He didn't, he didn't actually say this, but he, he, he's pretty much like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you just told David Sachs that we're pivoting, that you're pivoting in the middle of a pitch why <laughs> and uh, you know it all just kind of went downhill from there i i was i was very weak like it's it's the only way i can describe how i was during the accelerator i was weak after that happened i was mentally weak um i didn't know how to handle it and i just felt like i wasn't strong enough to get us back to where we needed to be although at the time i thought gigloft was the answer um and it's hard because you know, later in the year, I started to put all my effort into Gigloft. I mean, like, I got like, like, I don't know, 10 students single-handedly. We got to like $1,500 on revenue in like a, in like a week. And it's just kind of, it, it makes me realize, and I'll wrap it up here so now I'm rambling for a bit, but like, it makes me realize, like, I don't know how this is going to sound coming out, but like the power that I have, the fact that I can grow a company like Publoft from zero to $25,000 in MR with no marketing spend with just my effort. And I, it takes just a snap of the finger for me to wreck it. And then it takes a snap of the finger for me to take an idea and get $1,500 in monthly revenue. And you know, it's just like, I, I almost feel like I have this like power. <laughs> maybe I'm just a good founder or maybe I'm a bad founder. I don't know. But I just have this power to like do big things in positive and negative ways and this year, it really came out that, yes, I have that power and I can, I can use it for very negative ways. And uh, uh, we can talk about what, the, what the, 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 the six months after the accelerator looked like if you wanted. Ultimately, I, I mean, I took the ship down. I took a ship that was sailing. You know, it could have been a rocket ship. You know, um, and I got, I got the team lean a product market fit. I remember this. Um, but, you know, it left, it left my grasp. It left our grasp. And... Uh, you know, it, we just kind of watched the revenue dwindle and, uh, ah, that's kind of, that's kind of how the accelerator went. <laughs> um, obviously started really high, but due to, you know, self-inflicted wounds, it, uh, didn't end in that same way. Yeah. Well, looking back, what do you think? Um, cause you know, you kind of mentioned, cause this is kind of like a distraction, you know, kind of sound like gig love was kind yes. of a distraction for you during that time. And like, you know, like everybody always says, the most important thing is just focus for a startup because you can only go in like one direction at a time. So you got to go there fast and stay focused. What do you think it was that kind of distracted you and, and uh, made you, made you turn course? Was it because, was it, was it the pressure of not being able to pay, um, not being able to, to pay your bills because, uh, because a big hit to revenue or was it, was it anything else? Was it just like being in a new environment like that? Or was it, where was it coming from? So this is going pretty deep. 
But when, you know, whenever I started Publoft, even V1, even when we were working on it, and then V2 with Jeremy, I always cared more about the creatives, meaning the freelancers. I cared more about the experience for the freelancers than the content marketing services we were getting for clients. And obviously that sounds horrible, right? Like it was an agency, it was a marketplace. We need to care about customers first before the supply, but like I never did. Um, for a lot of good reasons, because you can only differentiate content marketing so much, but you can, but you can, you know, freelancers need so much help and we potentially could give them that help. And we were giving them that help. And I cared more about that than premium content marketing services. And I always felt that way. Always like, like when we were working on it, when I was working on it with Jeremy, it was always in my head. I'm just like, damn, like I wish we could build a product that can service freelancers. And I even told DeMont this on the first week of the accelerator. He's like, you know what? I want to target this direction. He's like, great. But like right now the customers are making you money. So if I'm being honest with myself, it was an excuse to do what I wanted to do in the first place. And is that responsible? No. Was that the right thing to do? No. But I, you know, I like writing, I like content marketing, but I was not going to work on content marketing for the next decade of my life. I could work on freelancer tools for the next decade of my life. I could do that for the rest of my life. And when I saw an opportunity to like, be like, wow, well, Publos not working, obviously on quotes, we got to do something else. Um, I did it because it's what I always wanted to do. But sometimes when you run a company and you're employing people and you have someone else's money, you know, you can't always do what you want to do. The market showed that Publoft had a fit, that it had a pull, and I didn't listen. And it doesn't matter what I wanted to do. It, it, it's what I was already doing. Um, but that's kind of always been kind of my kryptonite. I, I, I do have the ability to make things happen and, and create revenue very quickly. And I think because I know I can do that, I test I test things in ways that I shouldn't, you know, I could have just, I could have put that effort I put in the gig loft and just kept it in the pub loft, but I didn't. So to answer your question in a long form or in a short, short way is it's what I wanted to do in the first place. And the fact that pub loft was like quote unquote failing, although it wasn't gave me the, ex told me myself that I could, that, that it was time for gig loft and note it was gig loft Inc. Notes, it was Gigloft LLC. This was always the vision. So like, you have to understand my situation here. Again, not right, but you know, what's a visionary supposed to do? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, totally makes sense. Um, okay, so then kind of shifting gears a little bit outside of like the time during the accelerator. Yeah. Um, there was another, what is that, eight, eight months out of the year, then you're out, outside of the accelerator? What was, what was that like? And what happened during that time? So this is where things got really bad. Um, this is like the, the, the so in the accelerator, things were you know not great. I forgot to mention there was a point where Scott Scott from uh, the other air garage from start with that wow Scott the other air uh, air garage co-founder their CCO we were getting pizza at like two o'clock at night after an atrium happy hour. And he pretty much made me realize that, yo, you're running out of money real quick. Like based on X, Y, and Z, you're, you know, you're going to be out of money in like a month and a half or two months or whatever it was. So towards the end of the accelerator, Jeremy and I, this was actually, so Jeremy owned this. Jeremy was very good at this. Um, we, we got our financial shit in gear. We lowered our burn rate 
extensively, like insanely quickly. Because we knew that if we were going to burn at the same rate, I think at our peak, it was like $50,000. And you heard that right. I think in March, we burned $50,000, which is just incredible for having a $100,000 investment. Um, but we decreased it by 9x. Like we, we got it down to like under, under 10K. Um, so we decreased it. And then afterwards, after the accelerator, it was Gigloft. It was like full steam ahead on Gigloft. And, and the thing that's so funny thing is investors cared about Gigloft. Investors like Gigloft. And it's such a shame because under different circumstances, you know, Gigloft could have been, Gigloft, Gigloft could have been and still could be the thing, but it just wasn't right for many reasons at that time. So I was trying to raise money for Gigloft. You know, the money was wearing thin. We were like, you know, Publoff was making five grand, 10 grand, like not what, it, what we used to make. Um, but like we still had money in the bank account. And then they got to the point where, you know, we pretty much ran out of money. And I remember, yeah, this is, man, this is painful to talk about, to be frank. I mean, I'm definitely down to talk about it because it's good stuff. But I remember it was late August and Jeremy with his, with his smart financial mind, it just kind of told me, he's like, yo, like we pretty much can't take a salary anymore. And he was right. Um, he, he was hundred percent right. And I, but I couldn't, I've never been the best in the world with money. And hearing that, I'm just like, huh, well, that's not going to apply. <laughs> so I draw, so after that, in the beginning of September, I drive up to San Francisco and I tell myself I'm going to pitch investors until we get, until we get funding. Uh, I was not in a good place. I was, I was not at all. There's no, nothing to raise for. I, this I was, this was not good. Um, and I, I was just driving up there and like after a week, I kind of had the realization like, great, it's kind of like, kind of like done. And I drove back, I burned so much money on this, mostly on credit. Um, but I drove back and I realized like I had to get a job um, because, you know, we were out of money. We were like passed out of money. I was like living on credit again. Like, you know, you know, this is how it started and wasn't very fun. And yeah, man, this, I mean, it sucked. Like, it, you know, a lot, a lot of things happened. Um, I, there was very little money to go around. Um, very stressful times. Probably, I'm definitely not the worst span of, of time in my life because I was mentally fine. I, you know, I, I was, I didn't have any depression and I've had a few spats of that in, in my life and I didn't have any KLS um, during this time. So that was good, but it was rough. Uh, there was not a lot of money. Jeremy and I got into it big time, you know, just like any, anyone would, you know, in, in when, when there's no more money, you know, it, it, it kind of just sucked until I found a job <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, in, in late October or early November, I found, I was bl blessed with a opportunity to work with Prenda. It started off part-time. It's moving to closer to full-time. And this is the first time I've been on someone else's salary and or someone else's payroll in three years. And it feels great. I, I, it's, it, it, you know, pop-off was a hell of a journey like it's been two and a half years, but in a way, three years in some ways. And, you know, it did a lot of damage. You know, I'm in massive amounts of debt from it. I, on paper, look very unsuccessful in my career. I, it, it, it kind of potentially hurt reputations. It's hurt friendships. Um, at the same time, 
Pavlov has given me everything. Like, well, some people might think, you know, I'm a failure in other ways. I mean, I think I've set myself up beautifully for the next thing. And I wouldn't, I don't take back any of it. I don't regret any of it. Um, there's things that I wish went differently, you know, in the last couple of months, but you can't have everything right. But man, it feels great to not have to work like to me literally earn the next dollar that, that, that I get paid and to know that I'm getting paid, you know, on the third and it's just happening. It, that the fact that that wasn't the case for so long took a toll on me, like a health toll. Uh, it, it took, it took tolls everywhere. And I got to the point, you know, you know, where Publoft represented something kind of like dark for me. Um, and it was an internal battle I was fighting, but I told myself, like, you know, I was kind of done with, with, I was done being an optimist. You know, I was an optimist for two and a half years. I got in a lot of, you know, quote, not like financial trouble and like whatever. Um, and I, I, at the end of the day, like I didn't care the world about content marketing services. And the thing is, well, the more, the longer I worked on Publoft, the, the more I negatively impacted myself and people around me, like my girlfriend, my family, et cetera. So I made that hard, like the very hard decision to, uh, to stop working on it, you know, after I got this job at Prenda, um, for my own mental sanity, you know, obviously this is a slightly controversial uh, situation because like I started the company, Can, you know, are you able to just like bow out, you know, you know, and it, it's this things where it's like, yeah, you know, there are some schools of thought where it's like, no, you finish until you exit and give Jason his money back. Um, you know, 10 X, 10 X the money, but you know, I was not in a good place and I'm in a better place now, but I'm still kind of recovering. And, you know, Jeremy's running pub off now and I think it's in very good hands. And it's just one of these things where I had to make a decision, um, you know, for me and probably potentially the first responsible decision I made in a long time. I think a lot of irresponsible decisions led to great things in the last three years. But I mentally needed to close the chapter in order to get through some of my demons and be able to, you know, start the next thing, whatever that is, whenever that is. Mm, gotcha. Well, in uh, in light of some other good things that are happening, what yeah. are some of the what are some of the things that are going well this year now? Sure. Well, so going back, <laughs> going back to January. I, at the time, had the idea to start a podcast. The main reason for this is because at, by this point, you know, me and my different teams have been rejected from Y Combinator, I believe a grand total of five times. Eventually, it was six times as of this last summer. And I decided I wasn't going to let Y Combinator be the reason why I don't get to tap into that network. So I emailed 20, maybe 30, maybe 40 Y Combinator seasoned CEOs and founders. I'm like, yo, I'm starting a podcast. Can you come on? And I got like 10 of them or maybe five. I don't know. However many I got, um, you will see the first 20 or 30 guests on my podcast. You know, most of them are YC companies. This includes Austin Allred, Daniel Gross, Laura Behrenswool, Leah Culver. But these are like pretty solid names. And... I just started this and I decided I was going to use this to break into San Francisco. You know, I, I live in Phoenix launch helped, but it didn't get me the whole way there. Nothing does. 
And I just decided that this podcast was going to be the thing that was going to break me in. And uh, I told myself, you know, this is obviously an opinion and a bias, but I feel like when, when I made the decision to break into the Phoenix tech scene and mentally told myself I needed to like get to the top, I feel like in some capacity I did that. Obviously, many aren't going to agree, and that's fine. But like I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and it was like a little easy for me. And I wanted like a little bigger of a challenge. And what, what, how, you know, what else? What bigger of a challenge is there than trying to get to the center and the top of San Francisco? So the podcast is the start of my long game to break in, not just break in, but dominate and win. And obviously, it's not zero sum. It's definitely positive sum. We can all win. Um, but just, I want to win too. <laughs> and that podcast doing well, I started doing daily episodes about a month and a half ago. So now I'm at 83 episodes. And the whole idea of the podcast is I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people who are early stage founders or just early in their career, but I think they're going to be big one day. So in some ways I'm like an investor and I do think I would be, to be frank, a way better investor, at least in this moment in life, this could totally change. Like if you're an investor listening and like this guy's interesting, maybe I'll invest in him one day. Just remember, I'm going to say something for this moment in life. But I think in this moment in life, I think I would be a hell of a better investor than I would be a founder. Cause I, I do think I'm a, I'm a pretty damn good judge of talent. And because I'm not, you know, I'm still in my twenties. I am in circles where I think a lot of the young talent still, you know, are, are in. And I also am not like the most organized person in the world, but I'm very good at people and good at relationships. So this podcast might turn into something like in that realm. It might be like a VC type thing or I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really figured it out yet, but the podcast is interesting and I'm pretty good at it and I'm good at getting good guests on. And, and, and most, and, and kind of the last thing I'll say, this, this is what I told everyone. Like this is what I told Jeremy and what I told like my girlfriend. It's just like, for the first time in a while, it's just like, it's just easy. Like, although I, although from the outside, people see that I do daily episodes, they're like, whoa, like so much content. I'm like, no, it's not hard at all. It's easy work and it's something I enjoy. And for a change, I like doing easy work, you know? And Prenda is like growth and sales and it's fun and I'm good at it. And I'm just done for now struggling. So the, the reason I like the podcast so much is it's just, it's just easy and it's okay to do easy work because if you're good at it and it's easy, that's your sweet spot. That means you found something because it's hard. Like for someone else, daily podcast is probably the hardest thing in the world, which means I know that I found something. So again, this is another moment where you asked what, what you asked something. I don't remember what you asked, but ultimately like the <laughs> podcast is very promising. It, it's, it's, it's working at my strengths. It, it's betting on what I'm like good at and the thing and people can see me i don't know it's just i love it i love it so much i could be doing this for the next 10 years it's so fun um i don't know if i'll be doing daily for the next 10 years but it's just doing something that i'm good at and i love and does good for the world um and uh, i mean i think it does good for the world <laughs> yeah i agree uh so okay what about like on a personal level like what are some of the new things that you're doing like are there any goals you're setting for the next year or um i guess just anything that you want to you want to start doing? Sure. Well, I'll start on a slightly low note um, just because it's important, but then I'll quickly go back to high. I tell myself whether this is true or not, that I traded 
you know, right out of college, I started Pubble Off on C credit cards. And I traded a lot of the, like that, that, that moment in time, you're kind of supposed to establish some competencies in life, like your health, your, your financial literacy, your relationship management, et cetera. And I, in my view, punted all of that to start a company and struggle for three years, ultimately, and, you know, give and take. Um, and now I, in my view, I am career wise, pretty far ahead. Uh, this is obviously, uh, 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 I mean, biased, but more so um, it's in the Baha'i the beholder, Baha'i eye of the beholder. So this is just my opinion and it doesn't mean it's true. But I do think that because of the choices that I made, I'm potentially like a decade uh, farther along in my career than a lot of my peers. But I am potentially like uh, like five years or four years or a decade behind a lot of my peers and like the basic things you need to know to be an adult and a human. And like, so, no, so I could be better at finances. I could be better at health. Um, and my weight and whatnot. So I'm really devoting this next year to instead of hustling my face off and and whatnot, focusing on like getting those core competencies down and just get become a little bit more of a rounded person. Because I know I got that hustle gene. Now I can make money out of nothing, but I got to take care of myself. So to answer your question, uh, I plan on uh, I actually set New Year's resolutions for the first time in so long. But I put them on Twitter. I'm gonna see if I memorize them. So things that I'm focused on are one, I want to do great work for Prenda, but that's work. So we'll put that on the side. I want to be healthy enough where I can feel healthy and not care about the number. It doesn't matter if it's X or Y or Z. I just want to feel healthy and, and look in the mirror and, and be happy. I don't have a number associated to that. Um, a lot of what happened this year was a lack of emotional intelligence myself I think I'm very good with other people I think it's like one of my very very big you know superpowers but I think I overcompensate there for not having much inner EQ so something I'm trying to figure out is like identify emotions within myself and harness those and, and control those and manage it um, additionally I just this is a problem I feel like a lot of a lot of tech peeps have but I want to spend more mental energy and mental time on my girlfriend what i mean by that and my girlfriend's name madeline um what i mean by that is it's easy when you're together to spend time with them but to be i think a good boyfriend or husband or partner or whatever i feel like you have to like think about like think about them more often than like yourself maybe like I don't, I, i'm still figuring this out but i definitely know that i could be spending more mental energy thinking about her when we're not together. And I think that's important. Uh, and an idea that we discussed this before the podcast started, but an idea for all of this was to make a game out of it. So if they want to make a little game where I get points for like cooking, doing finances, et cetera, really basic stuff, but things I need to figure out um, and game and gamify myself into having these good habits. So then maybe in 2021, I will be, you know, very balanced, healthy, and, uh, you know, good on the EQ levels. So when I do start my next thing, I, I take it, you know, a thousand times past $25,000 a month, you know, I, like the next thing I do is going to be the thing. Cause I now, I now have broken in, like I have the network. I, there's no excuse. Like there's no, there's no access problems anymore. It's now just like, Matt, get out of your own way. So that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. So then looking back at uh, 2019 as a whole, um, 
what are some ways that you've changed in yourself? Like what are some things that you've noticed in yourself that um, have changed and like, what are some things that you do or don't like about it? Well, one thing for the better and for the worse at the same time, is that I am less of an optimist. Um, I'm still, I think more of an optimist than most people, but I literally started Publoft on two credit cards. Like that's not an over-exaggeration. Um, and I just was optimistic that I would figure it out. And I did. And I, I mean, I kind of did, you know, but I, like, I racked up a ton of debt, you know, and you know, whatever. Uh, and I got to this point where with Publoft, where I, I, I was always down for a new idea. And with Gigloft, I was always down for a new idea. But there, there was a point where I realized like, no, what, what is needed is not more optimism maybe just for a second <laughs> some more realism <laughs> and uh, this might be weird to hear from like a founder but technically i'm not a founder right now right i'm just like a guy working on some of his stuff so that's the way that i've changed i am trying to not think as big i'm trying to not be like what if that what if this what if that and i'm trying to like you know stick to the basics and uh, work on that part of me because you know we all like, i know that I don't have a problem with that other stuff, um, but you gotta have you gotta have it all if you're gonna be a good founder. Um, additionally, some other ways that I've changed. Um, I think this might sound so weird, but I have a better. <laughs> wow, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but I, I really do think I punted adulthood. Um, you know, I was still responsible in some capacity when I started Publoft, but I was just in a little hole. And just working on my thing and, you know, I was tunnel visioned and some of my opinions on stuff were like a little weird. Um, and I think 2019 really like, shh, I learned, I, I, I saw that the world was bigger than I thought it was. And I'm smaller than I thought I was. And this is not, there's no hack. There's no easy way to get there. It's just, you know, one step at a time. And I, and I just, I just think I matured a little bit to be frank. Um, I went through some, some major stuff this year. I mean, I mean, like, you know, so did like, Jeremy went through the same stuff. I think he'd say the same thing. Um, you know, we, we went through some stuff and on the other end, I, you know, I have a first job since post-grad and I have a podcast that I don't plan on, you know, going to another idea. I'm just going to stick with it. And I just, and I have like a, a great relationship that might turn into something, you know, more in the future. And it's just like, I feel like like a more of a, normal person and that's not necessarily a good thing you know founder the best founders aren't necessarily normal people but i'm not trying to be a great founder right now i'm just trying to like work on me and figure out some really basic stuff that i should have figured out a while ago so then once i do figure it out i can pair that with the crazy experiences and network and superpowers that i have and build a you know a giant ass company one day yeah so what would you say um you're most proud of this year? That's a great question. I'm a, so I'm going to take it back to a year ago. Um, I'm most proud of convincing. You know what, man? Like, so the, I mean, this was 2018. So it, it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't really count. But I, ever since, no, this was 2017. I was pursuing Jason from the moment, you know, I made my first buck and then you, and then you joined. And I don't even know if you knew that. But I was cold emailing Jason you know, we, monthly when we were working together and I probably sent him 20 cold emails. I pitched him once live, not including the, the big pitch. I, I, I talked to him twice on his podcast and you know what? 
it, it like it worked. Like I, I persevered far longer than I thought I would, or probably someone even should. And it and it worked out in that my goal was to get him to invest. He fucking invested. And I'm and I, I what I'm not proud about is what I did with that investment. But your answer your question was, what are you most proud of? And I, and I you know, an ASU grad communication major, not technical, not a great student, but I got, you know, I, I willed an investment for Jason, from Jason Calacanis to invest in our, in our company. Just makes you realize like you don't have to go to Stanford. You don't have to be a, like a data scientist, you know, you know, I mean, like, I'm kind of like an average dude, but I work hard. And I think I showed myself that like, like, although it's hard if you don't go to Stanford or you're not like super, super, super smart, like I'm a very hard worker and it paid off. And it really, I really was proud that my two and a half years of pursuing Jason, or I guess one and a half, I don't know, I guess two years of Jason, uh, it paid off for the outcome that I wanted at the time. Nice. So then, uh, Okay, then another question I want to ask that I yeah. thought about just now. It, it kind of reminds me of like a YC question. I think this is sure. a YC question. What's like, I think the YC question is some form of this. It's like, what's the funniest thing that happened to you this year? And there's a million things. Um, you're also a really funny guy because like I've been, I mean, I've been friends with you for a long time. Like a lot of, we laugh a lot of funny stuff. <laughs> a lot yeah. of random things. Yeah. So I want to ask you about that. Definitely. So the, I th- my initial let me, so well, there's something that I thought of immediately that I just have to say because it's just so stupid. So <laughs> driving up to San Francisco, this was, uh, in, in, I mean, a year ago, this was late January. Obviously, none of this year has happened yet. So Jeremy and I are optimistic as hell. And we should, and like, we should be optimistic, right? But we were so optimistic and also loopy. By the time we got to LA, we're driving from Phoenix to San Francisco. We said, you know what? We're going to write some songs. And uh, <laughs> oh, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! And the first song that we we wrote in the car was called "We Will Raise a Seed." We will raise a seed round to the tune of "We Will Rock You." And I literally don't know if I remember any of the of the lyrics. Like, we will raise a driving up to Sand Hill. I don't, I don't remember any of the lyrics to be frank, but I remember we like referenced Mark Andreessen and it was, it was just, it was so funny. We were so slap happy. It was, it was great. Um, another, oh my gosh, this is not funny. No, this is funny. Speaking of Mark Andreessen. Oh my gosh. I don't even know if I told you this in real life, Ethan. So (laughs) this is actually hilarious content if anyone's still listening. So (laughs) I interviewed Austin Allred at Lambda school in person which is cool, you know, but that's not, that's not like the, the story, but he told me that, you know, Matt, we can do this, but you got to finish at 11. I have a hard stop at 11. I mean, like, that's fine. You know, we'll stop at 11 and we're doing it. And it's like 10 59. And I think the podcast is done, but I'm chatting him up because it's Austin already. And I understand. And then someone walks in the door and then I understand why he wanted me out at 11 Mark Andreessen, I don't know, can I say this? Yeah, this was a year ago. Mark Andreessen walks in and sits down on the fucking couch. And I'm just like, 
that's like the feeling that I got when I saw Jason, it was the same feeling. It was the same feeling. And, and the feeling was, wow, I'm in the presence of Mark Andreessen and his forehead's great. And he's just, it's, it's Mark <laughs> Andreessen. And I quietly packed up and got out of there. I thought about using that as an opportunity for like, eh, but no, that is, I'm pretty good at, as I mentioned, I think I'm pretty good with EQ with other people. And that's one of these moments where you just get the hell out of the room because it was Austin's thing, you know, and you're not going to capitalize on that. And maybe, maybe I could have, whatever, but I, I think I made a hundred percent of the right decision. I could, that could have been, I'm just, yeah, good decision. But I think that was pretty funny. I literally, he said, Oh, stop at 11. I'm like, okay. Then Mark walks in and I understand why those were two pretty funny things. Like, 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 yeah, that was insane. That was literally insane. And then, yeah, that's, that's, those are the two things that pop into my head about what's fun. I feel like a lot of things happened that were funny this year because it was a hell of a year and there were a lot of laughs, but those are the <laughs> two that, those, those were the two that, uh, that pop up. Cool. And okay. So shifting a little bit towards forward thinking founders. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions about this. So let's do it. Who would you say is the most interesting person that you've interviewed so far? I mean, you've interviewed like what, 80 people now? Uh, yeah. Like I think not, not, yeah, 90. Yeah. 90. Um, Close to that, I don't know, 80, in between 80 and 90. Um, the most interesting person, let me actually go through. So I'll tell you who I immediately think of. It's just my, my immediate knee-jerk reaction is going to be Daniel Gross. Um, just brilliant mental models. He has mental models on everything, so his answer was so crisp. Um, and he's just, the fact that he's, I, I have a soft spot for like younger people who to figure it out and he's a younger person that's figured it out um just so interesting um very nice very gracious with his time one of the nicest guys i've met to be honest so that's that, that's the the knee-jerk reaction of the answer to your question i'm scrolling through excuse me i'm scrolling through the people that i've interviewed so joshua browder <coughs> joshua browder who's the ceo of do not pay uh, is, is pretty hilarious. He built a app to get people out of parking tickets, but he, <laughs> th th this app also can cancel free trial, free trials that automatically charge you. It could, can this app also, it's like a, it's a robot lawyer and you pretty much say, Hey, this repetitive thing is annoying and it takes care of it for you. And I don't, I, he was interesting, but I think his interestingness came from that, the, how cool the product was um let's let's keep going back uh we emod was in let's see let's see going back going back isaac morehouse probably this potentially the the the, the i mean I, I might get in trouble for saying this but i think he is the biggest domain expert on his domain than anyone else on the podcast um he's just a just a genius on the future of uh, education the future of college future of work He's just been in this world for a while, and you can hear in in the interview. So Isaac Morehouse is going through, um, and then also, I mean, this might be a cop out, but um, I mean, Jonathan Barkle, he was the fourth interview I ever did, and he, there's no his his success is not an accident. Let me just say that he is just a very smart thinker, and the fact that he's, I mean, I'm, I'm probably gonna get this wrong. I believe he's 22. Um, might be 23, maybe 21. I don't know. I know I, he's at least 21. I know that, but he just 
brilliant thinker and I feel like he could potentially be, you know, in five years, the most famous guest that I've ever had on the show. Um, I, I, I think I just very smart guy. Um, I also am biased cause I like know him and I'm giving you like multiple answers. So it's kind of cheating, but those are, those are a <laughs> few. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then if you could have anyone on the podcast dead or alive, so like, uh, who would it be? Or you can even answer one for each. So you can say one who's dead, one who's alive. Well, my immediate thought, this is so Silicon Valley-esque. It's like totally, <laughs> my, my, <laughs> actually, I want to flip it around. I have someone in my head and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to change the answer. I'm not going to mess it up. Who, who do you think, uh, I'm, this person's alive. I'm, I'm just kind of curious if, if you would guess who this is. Who, if knowing me, you know, for the last couple of years, who do you think my answer would be for the person alive to come onto the podcast? Probably Elon Musk. Ah, no, that's a good guess, though. I I do like Elon, but I'm not as I mean I I'm like a fa- a fair weather fan of Elon. Meaning, like I'm a fan. I will. Oh, I, I love Tesla. I love SpaceX. But like, there's nothing more than that. You know, it's just a fan. I would have Paul Graham. Um, oh yeah. Paul Graham, if, if you don't know, and I feel like if you're listening, you probably know who it is. Maybe not. Paul Graham found it, uh, is the co-founder of Y Combinator. And he's first got famous and known for his essays. And there's just no clearer thinker in the world than Paul Graham. I, and I mean that. I think this guy could potentially be the smartest person to ever step on the face of the earth. That's probably like rude to say to, you know, to a lot of people. But I, re- I, really think, I really think he is. And if I could have a conversation with him, even five minutes, or at least a, po- a podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Paul Graham. Um, and then dead. That's a. Uh, hmm. I'm reading a U.S. history book now, so I could like break that out and see. But the, no, that's that's. Let me, I'm looking at my bookshelf. Um, you know, you know, I'm gonna answer one more alive. It's kind of cheating, but it's kind of a, it's it's a <laughs> not your average answer. I feel I feel like this guy doesn't come up like super 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 often. I would want to interview Scott Belsky. Um, Scott Belsky, I mean, I, I kind of like underplayed him. He's like very successful and fairly famous. He's the founder of Behance. Now he's like a leads product at Adobe. But I just look at Scott and I just see a, a person who did their career right. And obviously there's tons of people who did their career right. But there's something about Scott who did it really right. <laughs> and I just think he's cool. And I've met him in person. I went to his book launch. Um, I kind of like snuck in. No, I didn't sneak in, but I, I probably shouldn't have been there, but they let me there. And Hunter Walk was there. It was crazy. Um, but I don't know. I, I, look up to, I, look, I look up to that guy. I, I, and I don't know why him, but I just, he has just done the career thing right. And I, I think he is just a, a great, you know, mentor from afar for me. And I would love to have a conversation with him. Cool. Um, Hmm. I really want you to answer the the, the, the like the person who's dead. Sure, Actually, sure, I really sure, want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious. All right, I because I, I feel like I'm gonna not have a good answer because I I can't think of anyone. Um, let me. <clears throat> Actually, this is gonna be this is not gonna be a good answer because it's like the typical answer, but it's actually it's, it's the right answer. Um, so I probably wouldn't have been able to start Publoft um, or do most of the things I've done in my life if it weren't for the luck that I was born into. Um, I, you know, 
was born into a great family. Um, and the reason the family was great is because my great grandpa, uh, you know, made a bunch of money and he made a bunch of money by owning and selling a ton of big and tall stores. And when I was born, he at the time was having Alzheimer's. I mean, he was experiencing Alzheimer's. So I never actually got to know him in his, in his form, in his, in a, you know, in his strength, but he set this family up forever. What I mean by that is, you know, I, you know, I'm not like, like right now I'm personally broke and I will always be broke until I, I can make my own money because, because that's the way my family has raised me. And I like that. I appreciate that. But even with that, I've been given opportunity that many others don't get the opportunity like in college. I was able to go to college. Um, and I was able to like not worry about working 80 hours a week to pay for college. And I'm very lucky. I'm very privileged. And I just want to know about the man who enabled that for me because I know I'm going to enable that for my grandkids and hopefully their grand, you know, I, I, ho I hope to get very wealthy and I, and I will um, if I just like don't give up on, you know, on the path. So I just want to get to, I just want to get to know my granddad, uh, my papa and uh, learn from him and thank him for allowing me to take the time to invest in me so I can do what he did to, to my mom and me um, for I could, so I can do that to, to my kids and their kids. That's very wholesome. Very wholesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So moving, like looking forward into the future. Sure. What's next? Well, I tell myself that I'm going to take it easy and not do anything like out of the ordinary, like start a company or anything. And I think I think that will be the case for at least a couple of months, uh, but I'm a, I know myself far too well, and I also know that I'm not just gonna like pick something out of the air. I'm learning all the time with my podcast, and I have a a strong feeling. I have a strong feeling that I'm gonna get into the VC world, but not as a associate or a partner at someone else's firm. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I mean, it will happen because if the SEC changes their laws for credit investors, but I do think I would be a really good investor in people. And I would like my podcast to be a vehicle to allow me to do that in the widest scale possible. And that's all I have. That's all I really have. I have a lot of different ideas in there. There's a lot of different methods to accomplish that, but I, I want to be doing great work that the world needs. And God knows that you know, I think I'm good at, at, at that at identifying talent and the world definitely needs there's people that need capital that don't get, don't get the opportunity because they don't live in the Bay. And I, I just see myself going in that direction. How? I don't know, but I don't have to figure that out right now. You know, that's what the future, a future has that in store. Cool. Okay. So um, last question. What message do you have for your future self at the end of 2020? So like, if you're going to, let's say you do this podcast again next year, I'd play back this audio back to you again. Um, I would tell myself to not overcorrect. Um, I, I mean, I accomplished some like pretty gnarly shit over the last three years. And yeah, should I have, you know, should I have done it all the way that I did it? I don't know. And I'm now slightly correcting to like figure out some other stuff, 
But I w- it would be a shame if the crazy wild Matt of 2017 just kind of like died. And I and a new Matt <laughs> formed that didn't have any of that Matt's DNA inside of him. Um, I need like like I need to not forget what it's like to be a true founder. And I do think, and I'm biased, obviously, but I, I think I have what it like. I'm 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 positive. I have uh, the stuff that is needed to build a, an extremely large company. I and I, that's validated by a lot of things that happened this year. Um, and I just don't want to forget that as I become a little more normal. Um, what I want a year from now, I want to tell myself, great, you've like figured out some of the finance stuff. You're a lot more healthy. You have a little grasp on your EQ. Now take that and combine it with your like aggressive style of starting companies and do something great. And I want to tell myself that and not forget what 2017 Matt and 2019 Matt, you know, uh, is capable of. Cause I don't like, you know, I've surprised a lot of people and I've surprised myself and I want to continue to do that because I have already, I've already come so far. Right. And I'm not just going to, you know, indirectly just let myself become average just because I'm starting to do what, like, I mean, sound, this might sound bad. But like most people have their finances together. Most people are in shape. I mean, I guess that's not true. But like I want to be really in shape, you know, and I'm not right now. So just because I'm choosing to do like normal people things does not mean this is the message. I'm kind of shoot beating around the bush for a bit, but I just, I just got to it. My message is just, and this is going to sound however it sounds to whoever's listening, but this is, this is the message. Just because this year, 2020, you're doing normal people things does not make you a normal person. Don't forget that. That's it. I'm not even going to elaborate because that's for me. Awesome. Cool. Well, that concludes this episode.